Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, this is Dana Perkins and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. Back in November of 2022, Indonesia was the host of the B20 and G20 meetings in Bali. And this is when BNEF hosted our very first summit in Southeast Asia in the days leading up. It was at this event that Ben Vickers, who is the chief editor for BNEF, first interviewed Anis Biswedan on stage. Now, at the time that they met, they talked about recording this episode. And a few months later, here we are on Switched On talking about the path to decarbonization for Indonesia. On today's episode, we hear from Pakanis regarding goals for decarbonizing, how Indonesia is approaching the issue, and how one might think about timelines for emerging markets. As a reminder, BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and we have a very complete disclaimer that can be listened to at the end of the show. Additionally, if you are interested in seeing the videos from BNEF's summit in Bali, they can be found at about.bnef.com forward slash Bali forward slash videos. I'm going to take you straight into the interview now because Ben provides a great introduction both for Anis Bezuedan and for Indonesia. Let's hear their conversation. So we have with us Anis Bezuedan, candidate in Indonesia's presidential election in 2024 next year. Now, among much other experience, he's been a Minister of Education and Culture in the country, and he's been the governor of Jakarta until late last year. Now, also, Anis, he knows the US very well. He was a Fulbright Scholar at the University of Maryland School of Public Policy, and he got a doctorate in political science from Northern Illinois University. That's some years ago, though. A lot of waters has passed under the bridge since then. Still, Indonesia and standing as a candidate for the presidency, this is an amazingly complex country. Just to give a little bit of a, an idea of the scale, population of 272 million, and it's many thousand, and many thousand islands too. Many thousand islands and hundreds of languages, spoken languages. Hundreds of spoken languages. Yes. My goodness. Now, compared to that size, 272 million, compared to the EU, it has 446 million, for example. And the US, the whole US is 333 million, thereabouts. So 272 million, massive population. The economy is growing at 5% per year. One other measure is emissions, of course. So... Indonesians per capita emissions are two tons of CO2 a year. That compares to 6.1 tons in the European Union and 14 tons in the US. That, however, you also note two tons in Indonesia and it's increasing, whereas the six tons in the EU and the 14 tons in the US are both numbers that are decreasing over time. Who knows if they're going to meet at some point, but that's the decarbonization process Indeed. which we're going to be talking about. First of all, Anis, um, now what makes Indonesia's move to a lower carbon economy especially challenging? Part of the reasons is because this is a society that uses energy at the family level for mobility. 
which is consume a lot of energy. And our development has been focusing on the car-oriented development. And therefore, for example, like the case of Jakarta, just in, as an illustration, why it is challenging, we have 11 million population in our city, and we have about the same numbers of motorcycles and cars. So actually, our, our motorcycles, we have 13 million, 13 motor- million. motorcycles and 3 million cars registered cars and motorcycles. So when we're talking about decarbonization, so it is a, it is challenging because you have to handle it at the smallest units of your society, mm-hmm. which is at family level, at the individual levels. Right. And that's why it is one of the one of the big challenge. So converting into transit oriented development, that has been our commitment and we work on it in the past five years and we're seeing a tremendous change. So if we are able to continue this, then we tackle one of the challenges on the decarbonization. That's really interesting. So it's the scale of decarbonization, the little details you have to go into, I suppose that's one of the challenges. Yes, yes, indeed. There's not two big companies you can go to and get the job done. It's many millions of people you, that have to change their habits and have to change their choice. And on top of that, our fuel is heavily subsidized. Mm-hmm. So what happened is mobility we're using private vehicles and the private vehicles we're using fuel that is subs- heavily subsidized and reducing that subsidy is politically challenging. And now with the increase of world oil price, it has put pressure us in government. But on the other hand, this also one of key reasons why decarbonization becomes important. From the government point of view, we need to reduce that subsidy. Yeah. And to reduce the subsidy, then people need to reduce their oil consumption, fuel consumption. And to do that, give incentive for conversion into electric vehicles. And that is the avenue that we are now doing. That's super interesting. Now, there was some good news at the end of last year, November, I think it was, the Just Energy Transition Partnership, which was led in, in this case by the US and Japan, along with Canada, the EU, Germany, France, the UK, Norway, mm-hmm. a bunch of countries signed a deal to help fund the energy transition in Indonesia. Now, that's going to provide $20 billion over the next three to five years. That I think at the, at the point was the biggest deal that had been done of this sort. That was very exciting. But we have to put that in context. The country has a target to reach net zero in 2060. And our calculations indicate that the cost of reaching net zero by that time is going to be, well, it's going to require $3.5 trillion dollars of investment. This is a massive process. There's a lot of money has to borrow into the country. That puts a little, uh, the $20 billion in a slightly different light. So my question to you is, where is this money going to come from? That's one of the biggest challenges, actually. And when you look at this issue, there are a few areas that you have to look at. it. One is what I mentioned earlier about mobility. Two is about power plants that, that we have in the country. And three is the new constructions of power plants across Indonesia. Let me give you an illustration. So you talk about the country earlier. This is 270 million people. And, you know, what often overlooked is this is an archipelago. It's not a continental. So you don't have a centralized power grid that, that distribute power across the country. On the other hand, it gives you incentive to create more sustainable power generator. Because then small islands across Indonesia, you have and in the tropical area, in the equator, which 
definitely solar generated energy is something that we are pursuing. So how do we finance all of this? Yeah. I think based on our experience in Jakarta, for example, PPP is one of the way to go. So private-public partnership, right? So when it comes to public project, inviting private sectors to come into equation is key. For example, when we are doing electrifications of our buses, then we partners with the private sectors and they do the investment, we purchase their services, and it was a way to go. And otherwise, it would cost us a lot. But by having that kind of partnership, then we're able to attract a large number of investment. And still, from the business point of view, they can make it a good business. But on the other hand, it is in line with our sustainable objective. So you're suggesting part of this money, like mm. a sizable chunk, is going to have to come from private investors. I think so. Essentially, what is what you're saying. On the one hand, with private investment, but also government-driven project. So it's a partnership. Yes. But the utility in the country is still state-controlled. PLM, is that likely to change? Is the reform, are the reforms likely to come in that area or is that going to It is likely to come. The reform likely to come given the challenge that we have and the speed of uh, supply, the growth of supply has not been satisfying. So I think we will come to a point where major reform needs to take place. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. That again, probably a contentious issue, quite a, political, quite a complicated <laughs> political process, I imagine. All right. Now, Indonesia's power demand is expected to grow three to five times by 2050, just because the economy is growing, population and so on. But that means that the power system itself is going to need to expand probably more than eightfold by that time, and potentially much more than that. So as this power system grows in, in all the ways it can, how are we going to balance that against sticking to these emissions targets, which are for net zero by 2060? Yeah, I was, how do you keep that thing? I mentioned earlier the setting of Indonesia is an archipelago, but also this is an area which is often called as ring of fire. That's where Indonesia is. So we're talking about solar generated power. Indonesia has one of the richest potentials for that, and that has not been explored much. And those tools were sustainable source mm-hmm. of power. So I think on the one hand we have that target. On the other hand, we are seeing opportunity in the new area. However, there is one more thing, is we need to have a more fair and just transitions from coal power generated energy, which we have been using in the past few decades, into a cleaner one. But 
that transition required times for that. So I'm seeing for the futures, the transition needs to take place. But on the other hand, we need to address seriously about taking new avenues, which is solar generated and also the geothermal. So the Just Energy Transition Partnership that we talked about earlier, those $20 billion are aimed at taking coal out of the system. Basically. Yeah, because Indonesia is the largest, the world's largest exporter of thermal coal at the moment. There are various, various things going on there in that market to ensure that the country has enough coal for its own needs. But that's something that will potentially need to be need to be addressed because fair enough, don't burn it. But if you're still exporting coal to everyone, everyone else is burning coal, mm-hmm. there's still a good business there. Right? But there are other, other things. And, and as somebody standing for the presidency, some of these things, for example, the um, renewable generation targets for 2030, the target at the moment is for 23 to 25% of renewable generation of um, power generation to be coming from renewables by 2030. Now that sounds like a lot, 23 to 25% of generation by 2030, but it's actually the lowest among G20 countries. So is that something that needs changing? That's that's one question. So up to 2030, we're maybe among the lowest. But when you're talking about 2050, then we were catching up. In the immediate first decades of that transitions, as I mentioned earlier, we have quite a large burden on our soldiers. So we don't want to be too ambitious yeah. in the first 10 years. However, this is not only about 2030. We're talking about 2050, 2060. Our ambition in 2050 is at par with other countries. And we do hope uh, by then we will have more rooms to maneuver in terms of financial support, in terms of source of new energy, and hopefully in terms of technology available. The technology that we may be seeing in 2030 would might have been completely different than what we have today. Yeah. So we have to put that into account when we talk about the speed of that transition. Yeah. So, yes, we may be among the lowest to reach the 2030, but we're at par for 2050. Okay, so it's an unfair comparison. Yeah, it's an unfair comparison. <laughs> <laughs> you're starting slowly, you're slow pace, but you're catching up over time. Yeah, and in, even Mike, in our case in Jakarta, for example, we aim at 30% reductions of greenhouse emissions by 2030. But that target was achieved much earlier. We reached 26% reduction in 2021, you know. So you're setting low targets, so you can look really no, no, good. No, no. But, but once once we get there, <laughs> yeah. I mean, then then we ex- we expedite the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot with targets <laughs> being too high and not achieving them, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's so it's not like Michelangelo. Michelangelo once said, you know, I'm not worried about that you fail to achieve your target. What I'm worried is your target is too low and you achieve it. <laughs> but, and you achieve it. <laughs> that's right. So there are other ways, I think, of Indonesia participating in this energy transition to a sort of cleaner, a cleaner economy in a way. And of course, there's EVs, electrification of transport, which is a big thing. And I know Jakarta did some things in that respect. But I want to talk about nickel because Indonesia has about a quarter of all known nickel deposits in the world. And nickel, of course, is an important component of yeah. batteries and so on. What's going to happen there? What would you like to see happen with mining and potentially being part of the supply chain for batteries? Indonesia will play a major role in that supply chain of batteries, for sure, because of our nickels. But also, we would like to see advancement of technology on the use of nickels. And we have invested a lot, and what we like to see also the fact that we like to see more of battery manufacturing taking place in Indonesia. So instead of us exporting raw materials of nickels, we'd like to have battery productions here in the country. So in, in that 
directions, electrifications of our public transport of private vehicles mm-hmm. in line with the presence of supply of battery, which is key for electric uh, right. vehicles. I believe it would help to expedite the process of achieving authority. So you want to stimulate internal demand for batteries, as it were, within the country as a way of enabling that industry to grow. Indeed. Industry. Indeed. Who, who's going to make batteries in Indonesia? It may not immediately an Indonesian company, but at least it is being produced within Indonesia, in Indonesia. And since the demand is so high in terms of battery for electric vehicles, as well as for other like solar panels and etc., but again, that's going to need investment. So presumably money is part of the 3.5 trillion, whatever it is. See, again, when it comes to this, I think from the government point of view, we outline the policy direction and then give the incentive and disincentive from fiscal point of view. Right. That's to allow market to actually grow and provide solutions. So the solution to this problem can be from by us creating, us in government, creating the markets for that. Right. The demand is definitely there, but we need to create markets so that supply will grow. Is that going to require more reform or are pieces in place with this strategy yes. already? Definitely. Some regulations need to be revised. Give you an example. All of regulation with regard to private vehicles has always been combustion-based vehicles, and we need to revise all of that. And it requires a lot of work, but we need to do that. And then tariff barriers on electric-based equipments from motorcycles all the way to solar panels, for example. This is for importing. For importations and for productions. So we really have to look at details of many of our policies to give incentive of conversion into a more sustainable approach of, of technology. That's what needed. And if we do that market will grow. Yeah, is the current government sort of aligned with these sort of ideas? I think so. Yeah. Last two years ago, it was 2020 that Papa President Jokowi issued a new regulations with regard to this and it, we need to have more of this. It's in the directions of creating new markets for sustainable uh, solution. Yeah, interesting. So we're getting close to the end of the time we have. So just one, maybe two more questions. Now with investment, required at this scale, $3.5 trillion. It's going to be important to establish priorities, I would imagine. We can't do everything all, all at once. So what would be top of the list and most effective for you? And what role does government have in attracting this money? You've, you've alluded to that already. I suppose the question here is, what, what would be your priorities? Focus on the urban areas in Indonesia. Indonesia is large, but it has to start somewhere. And the best way on addressing this challenge is by focusing on major cities. When you say major cities, how many is that? Twelve. Twelve cities. Twelve big cities. And then from there you go to the more medium-sized cities, which will have around 50 overall. If you address that, then we will be able to significantly improve our speed of achieving our target. Many thought that Indonesia is an agriculture base, it's a rural-based society. It used to be, but by now, 57% of our population is living in the cities. Right. And this is a trend across the globe. The, the world will have around 70% of our populations by 2030, 2035. So if we address, our, if we put our priorities into sustainable urban mobility mm-hmm. and a transit-oriented development in our urban area, 
we will significantly reduce our burden. And I think that's where the priority should be. I just because I think networks of cities are a, are a very interesting way maybe of working. And you can think of European Union and many many places where it might work. But in the case of Indonesia, would you have to work with the individual governors of different cities and different administrations, or is there a network? Are they coordinated? Are they used to working together? Those twelve cities. There's no uh, formal network mm-hmm. of those cities, but what happened is this: city government may not have the fiscal capacity to convert from car-oriented development into transit-oriented development the way Jakarta did it, because Jakarta has the fiscal power. That's where national government can step in, right? By assisting these twelve cities, let's convert into transit-oriented development. Here are the policy framework. Here are the channel for financing. Here are some rules and regulations, and then they will definitely uh, willing to join that. But if we are only giving them sort of instructions, you need to achieve this target and that target, they would say, "Where can I get the money? What are the policy uh, framework to allow us to achieve that?" So, the fact that we have a lot of major cities and they don't have the fiscal capacity. For that conversion, we have to look at it as an opportunity for central government. You're going to help them over that barrier, exactly. Get them up one exactly. step or two. Because at the end of the day, the report will be at the national level, right? So local achievement will be accumulated. I mean, the numbers will be accumulated in the national level, yeah. And we need to start somewhere, and that somewhere is the urban area. So why don't we just do that and do that approach? And I think we'll be able to, to report to the world. That Indonesia is being responsible and we contribute our parts. That's great. Well, as Governor of Jakarta, you've had some experience at how cities operate. So hopefully that plan works out. In terms of the scale of transformation that's required, we say there's a lot of money, but there's transformation in many other ways as well. And of course, it's, it's consumer choice, it's habits, it's economic transformation of different sorts and creating new industries such as battery manufacturing. And I'm wondering, at transformation at this scale, is there a risk that it's going to actually become a hindrance to development in the country? Decarbonisation becomes something hard to do and grow at the same time, and other trade-offs to be made there. Are we at risk of overregulation and sort of excessive administrative burden on getting these things done? What's your view? Theoretically, people can say that economy and ecology can work hand in hand, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll work it out the, together. Theoretically, we can say that, but in reality, the challenge is on how do we go about it. I think one Im- important aspect is let's not reinvent the wheel. Okay. Let's learn from countries, cities across the globe. What are breakthrough that we can actually learn, adopt, adapt? And I think that's where cooperations is important, okay. so that we can learn that. But I do think that we are at at the point where we cannot tolerate this anymore. So this is a time in which we just have to take our responsible policy into action. And it may be hard, but we just have to do it, because if we delay, if we don't take this route, regardless of how heavy it is, we will not have the kind of earth and ecosystem that we like to be for our children and the children of our children. It sounds like a very idealistic, but it, it, it's actually the reality. Yeah, right. So we just have to do it. That's an interesting idea to keep in mind, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it, it sounds idealistic, but it is the reality. We need to address, and I think new generations of Indonesians were really for it. So even though if at the beginning it may cost us extra in terms of resources, in terms of time, and all of that, 
I think Burbank will keep that in mind that this is something that we have to do. Okay. One last line, one sentence. What if do you have a message, I suppose, for the international finance community or investor community? What would you say to them? One thing. Let's put time perspective of our transition in a fair way. Mm-hmm. As we talked earlier, if we look at our transition in the period of 10 years, we may be seeing different approach if we do it in 20, 30, or 40 years. For a country like us who have undergone, I would say, less sustainable-oriented development in the past, give us time. And then number two is uh, partnering in terms of financing. Right. We need the world to help developing countries, including Indonesia, to pave the way, especially in terms of financial resources, to reach our target. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank Thanks, Pastor Wayden. Thank you for your time. Most welcome. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.